ask yourself a question, could a child know for sure that he did or did not do that thing? And if there's any opinion in there, well then, that's a danger zone. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. Andrew, I'm going to read the first couple sentences from an article that you wrote in 2007. Ooh, that's a long time ago. What if I don't agree with myself anymore? I think you will. Okay. All right. Well, I, you know what happened to me one time? Hmm. I got a magazine in the mail, some homeschool magazine, mm -hmm. and I opened it up because there was an article on teaching writing. I thought, well, I want to know what this magazine is saying about yeah. this. And I started reading the article, and I thought, wow, this is good. Hmm. Like, I agree with this. Uh, this is way better than what I normally see in a homeschool magazine. And I get about two paragraphs in, and I'm just so curious who wrote this thing. And then I go look at the end. I wrote it. Oh, gosh. Okay. Oh. It was such a weird experience. So <laughs> anyway, you gave me heads up. Yep. I, I should recognize this. Yes. Okay. Here's what you said about marking and grading. And then you, the subtitle is A Few Tricks About a Sticky, Tricky Subject. Oh, okay. I like it. As soon as people get serious about the business of teaching writing, certain beasts inevitably raise their ugly heads, namely how to correct papers in a way that will be truly helpful and how to decide on a grade for the paper. We must consider then how we as parents and teachers can create a culture of cooperation which will nurture and encourage students while ensuring that they acquire basic abilities and an attention to detail that will serve them throughout life. That's it. And then you go on to explain how we do this crazy thing about correcting, marking, well, Well, and this papers. was, I think, kind of an offshoot of a talk I had done for many, many years called The Four Deadly Errors of Teaching Writing because it's connected yep. in that way. And of course, people, I don't know, raise the beast that raises its ugly head, but certainly almost everyone, whether homeschool, classroom, tutoring situation, you know, when we start to teach something, our own experience of having been taught becomes kind of dominant in our thinking about sure. how to teach it. Therefore, we very much assume that we should do to our students what was done to us. And there's just a lot of baggage sure. there. And, and so I think it's helpful mm -hmm. to, to back up and, and ask the question, at least ask the question, was what was done to me or my preconceived ideas about how this should be done? Is that good? Right. Or is that the best way? Right. So kind of creating just a little bit of opportunity for people to reflect on and maybe even challenge certain ideas that are given. Right. You know, what's the first rule of logic? 
check your premises. Mm -hmm. you, can have, you can have a valid syllogism, but if the premises are in error, then you don't have a valid conclusion. Exactly. So, well, and you said what was done to you. And I think of young teachers, maybe in their 20s and 30s, probably what was done to them is they were not assigned a lot of papers to write because the teachers didn't want to take them home and use up all their evening and weekends just to grade all these papers. So they might not even have any experience of what it looks like to grade English composition. Well, and I remember reading many years ago, I mean, and it's probably even more true now than when I read it, but according to the National Council of Teachers of English, according to their own body and its researcher mm -hmm. conclusions, the number one reason students don't do more writing in school is because teachers don't want to grade yep. it, deal with it. And so, you know, it's a kind of a natural human tendency if something's burdensome and you could maybe avoid it a little more, you would naturally say, okay, let's do something else. Right, right. And uh, almost semi-consciously. Mm -hmm. uh, but we've talked about many times, writing is one of those things like playing the violin or gymnastics. If you don't do more of it, you cannot get better at doing it. It's right. a skill. You have to practice to improve. And we have convinced a lot of classroom teachers recently to jump on this bandwagon and get excited about teaching writing. So now they're faced with all of these papers, Andrew, that we assign. At the beginning of the year, it may only be one paragraph, but it quickly grows into three and then four and then five, and then they're grading, you know, right. multiple page and, compositions. And one of the strategies historically that have been introduced and used more or less or a lot or not at all by various people is peer editing. Oh, yes. I, I actually have that on my notes to be sure oh. you address this. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that, I mean, we can get to that in order, but that idea of, oh, well, I can't really spend as much time on all 28 of these mm -hmm. students' papers. Times five classes. Times, yeah. But they could help each other. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of makes sense until you consider other certain factors. But right. anyway, all right, so what what do you want to talk about? Well, let me just first of all mention that this article, Marking and Grading, is found in the book that, your book, However Imperfectly, and this is available on our website, link in the show notes. It's also available for free to any of our premium members. They can order this book and they can even get your autograph in there. This is my book that oh, I'm holding man, you. You've sentenced me to making more autographs. More autographs, right. Well, anyway, you're well, very good at it. Um, they could get it for free just online, right? Yeah, it's also a link in our show notes to okay. the article but itself. But if, if they want the actual whole book, then yeah. they can buy the book or get the premium, get the premium content, get the, the yeah. actual book, we mail it to them. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so in this article, you get into this idea of no erasing aloud, learning editing skills, which I love this, you know, actually learning those marks and so that they can quickly go through a paper or a teacher. So we have that in our Fix-It Grammar program, we teach teachers how to, you know, three underlines of a letter means capitalize it, right. insert, you know, the V-care. teach what, the kids to double space and mm -hmm. always put their additions or corrections above, right. never below. <laughs> right. And how to use the carrot, which actually is spelled C-A-R-E-T. Right. Not like the vegetable. Right. But Although it, it looks kind of like an upside down carrot. Yeah. And, uh, 
you know, the kind of a shorthand that evolved mm-hmm. that then allows teachers and students to communicate right. very effectively right. with a kind of simple but standard way of editing. So right. that, yeah, okay, what else? Well, and then I just kind of along that line, this idea of hiring an editor. I mean, even classroom teachers whose parents may or may not be as involved should encourage their students to have someone else read their paper before they turn it in. Yeah. You know, that that kind of idea. And then the idea of grading and rubrics and checklists. You know, we often talk about rubrics and how the standards can be kind of fuzzy. Right. So, and then we talk about peer editing. You mentioned that in here. Anyway, lots of things to talk about, Andrew. Okay. Go. <laughs> well, let's start with this no erasing allowed idea. Right. I mean, this this sounds a little radical when people first hear it, but I have never met a teacher who implemented this that didn't come back later and say, well, that was a really good idea. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we notice is that some children, not all, some kids have this perfectionistic tendency mm-hmm. that is not really helpful. And in some cases can be even the enemy of better writing in that they want it to look perfect. So, you know, they they write something, they read it, and they think, oh, no, I left out a word. Mm -hmm. Then they'll erase two words so they can then squeeze in the three that need to be there (laughs) so that the final thing will look pretty. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think it's easy for parents and teachers to inadvertently praise this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, and especially at this grade, usually at the, the younger lower level, grades, yeah. they're learning cursive or they're learning, you know, how to form those letters correctly. Right. And you talk about separating that. Like, yes, absolutely teach handwriting. But when they're doing their rough draft. Yeah. And if you can free them up from the burden of trying to figure out what to write, and we've done many podcasts mm-hmm. on that, and remember how to spell stuff, and make pretty letters mm-hmm. all at the same time, which can be overwhelming for almost all children, but you know any kids who struggle in any way, particularly overwhelming, free that up and say, okay, don't worry, right? And, and the best way that I have found to communicate that is to make the rule, no erasing allowed. Well, what if I make a mistake? Great. Line it out. Here's the way you do this. Put in the space above what you do want. Forget something, put the little carrot, add it in. Uh, want to move something, circle it, draw an arrow to where you want it to go. And, and so I, I generally say, especially to young kids, if your paper looks a bit messy, then I will be happy because I will know you're spending your time and energy trying to make it sound good. Mm-hmm. And not worrying about what it looks like. Mm-hmm. And so that no erasing allowed really helps. And then, you know, we have talked before, and you could link to the article, Convert to Pen, mm-hmm. and talking about why pen is actually a better writing utensil, even for young children seven, eight years old, than pencils for various reasons. And I think we did the podcast review of paper and pen, what the research says. Mm -hmm. But I remember how excited I was when I found an actual master's thesis paper that had been published way back when I was in elementary school Wow! about switching first graders from pencil to pen for English composition. So, And I've never met anyone who did this and didn't 
and, and said anything to me about it and didn't say, yeah, that worked really well. So that first step of just be free, free yourself up. Mm-hmm. Now, I think it's important because of the fact that this is 2023, there are many, many people who have been completely convinced that there's no real need for students to write on paper mm, anymore. Right. Because almost everybody in the real world types almost everything. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people have discovered the fact that they don't really need to type anything. They can just talk to their devices, and that's just going to get more and more the way it is, especially with the improvement in everything from speech recognition to AI that will edit your paper perfectly for Mm -hmm. you and all that. Why should we keep kids writing on paper? Because, you know, if they're going to type it, well, then it's easy to make changes. Mm -hmm. But I think we've all had the experience of, okay, we have to type something and we start typing. We don't like it. We delete it. And we type something else, delete it. You've been working 15 minutes and all you have is a blank screen, right? Blank, <laughs> blank page, blank brain, frustration. Yeah. You know, when you write on paper, you may end up crossing the thing out. But two things happen. You say, oh, I did think of something and I'm not doing nothing, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And then the other thing is... How many times have we written something, thought we didn't like it, and then change our mind and say we do like it or change our mind again? So the written page serves almost as a good historical record of what we were thinking at least, at least a little bit. Mm -hmm. Sure. And then, of course, I think everyone should step back and say, okay, yeah, when you go to work and you get a job that requires any type of business communication, you're going to be doing everything on a screen. Mm -hmm. So why bother with handwriting? Well, the flip side of that is how many of you who are having this thought would like to be an adult who doesn't have the ability to easily or fluently write on paper when you want to? And I suspect that there are teachers in different places, maybe as low as middle school, but certainly high school and college, looking at now with the OpenAI and ChatGBT, the importance of forming the intellect that that could so easily replace an atrophy, there's going to go back to in-class writing. Yes. In fact, I've, I've heard of many schools who are kind of reinstituting this idea. What I don't know if you ever did a blue book exam. Where yes, you, I did. You have to sit in the class and... Yep pull out a little booklet of paper yep, and, and write. You snap it open <laughs> when she says go. Or, yeah. yep. So I suspect that in many places there's going to be kind of a return to the need mm-hmm. for that. Sure. Just to demonstrate, just to prevent against plagiarism yeah. or that they didn't do the work themselves. You know, and sure. then just from a practical point of view, you know, a handwritten letter mm-hmm carries a tremendous impact in someone's life. Yes. And that whole paper and pen talk that you give, you talk about you remember better if you write it down as opposed to keyboarding it. Yeah. And, you know, is it faster to type? Yeah. For almost everybody. Is it always good to be faster? Is it sometimes better to think a little bit more? Mm -hmm. And so when you write on paper, it's, it's a greater investment so you tend to say, okay, what am I going to say? How's the sentence going to roll? And you you rehearse it a little bit. 
you think what you're going to write, you maybe change or consider or adjust, and then you make the effort to commit it to paper. So there's a a more precise, I would argue, mm. level of thinking that is promoted by writing on paper. But, you know, that's kind of a side subject. Yep. Marking and grading. Back but, to this. Yeah. So, so talk about peer editing. That might work if you had a group of people and you had kind of a hierarchy of ability established. Mm. Um, so, you know, Dr. Webster talks about the one-room schoolhouse, mm-hmm. one-room classroom where he had, you know, kids from six to 16 all in one room together. And they were in different grades, but they were all in the same room. And so if a a grade five kid had a problem, the natural automatic thing that child would think of doing is finding an older student to get help with that. But when you age segregate, then you have this very difficult, somewhat artificial environment where you are pretending that everyone has the same level of experience or skill or aptitude. And it's not true. Right. It's never true. And so it eliminates the possibility of having a hierarchy which could be useful. And and Webster says when he you know, he did the one-room schoolhouse thing for a couple of years, and then they said, okay, you're not qualified to be a teacher. So then he went and got his certification, two-year college program, whatever it was at the time in the in the 40s, mm-hmm. uh, early 50s. And then he went to teach fifth grade, and he said that was the worst thing because if one kid had a problem, they all had a problem, and everybody needed him at the same time. And so he tried to establish that by saying, if you have a problem, go to him first. If he can't help you, go to her. If she can't help you, then and only then do you bother me. But we we can't really do that in today's modern classrooms. So what we end up with is this situation where, okay, trade papers with your partner, with your neighbor randomly mm-hmm. under the the thought that everyone is going to have something useful to give as feedback to everyone else. Well, unfortunately, that's just not true. I mean, you know, you may be a higher aptitude student. You're not perfect, but you know a bit more grammar. You have a little bit more fluency. You have a few more years of good instruction. And then you get someone who's not in that zone. They can't think of anything useful to say except, wow, really good or mm-hmm. interesting, or they pick on some dumb thing to criticize because they, they feel like they have to. Well, I think you might have experience, but my my youngest daughter took a English class in junior college when she was high school age, and she said she really hated the peer editing because, you know, it's like she had to be the nasty person fixing people's stuff, and nobody liked that. And then she would get her paper back with things that were actually right or better that someone just marked up because they thought they had. So unless you can create what Jordan Peterson calls a just hierarchy, you really can't do peer editing serving everyone well. So would there be a case where, yes, one student might give or get good feedback from another student? Yeah. But is it going to be universally the best use of everyone's time and energy? I think that's very rare. Right. And, you know, I'm willing to hear teachers who would argue against that. And I would probably say, well, 
you're an exceptionally good teacher because the average one isn't going to be able to manage that as well as you have. So congratulations and God bless you. But your extraordinarily talent in doing this doesn't mean it's a good idea for everyone. Right. So I'd like to segue over to checklists and rubrics for right. a moment. The IEW structure and style approach when students are writing, they 99% of the time, if they're writing a composition, they have a checklist right. that they need to check off and make sure that they've done everything on that checklist. So I know that our Structure and Style for Students program has checklists with every lesson and almost every lesson. Almost, we don't do yeah. checklists for the author invitation just for reasons yep. I and won't then, get into. Uh, sometimes we've done poetry and we just have a completely different kind of checklist. Yes, yes. But mostly we're looking at, you know, three things. Mm -hmm. We're looking at the mechanical side, yep. like formatting the paper and spelling words. Mm -hmm. That's pretty black and white. That's clear. You either do it or you don't. Mm -hmm. And there's no opinion about whether it is formatted according to the right guide and whether the words are spelled correctly. Right. Okay. Another area we have is the structural side, structure and style. Right. So structure is, do you have the right number of paragraphs? Are they clearly indicated in the way we ask? Does each paragraph fulfill its purpose? And that varies mm -hmm. from unit to unit. And do they follow certain structural rules sure. that we put in, right. such as... The topic sentence includes your sentence, must repeat or reflect two to three keywords. And everybody who's listening to this who knows that rule just did the hand signs. Yeah, Good job. May, maybe they did. But <laughs> but again, that is a very concrete thing. Yep. Right. Anybody can look at that and say, aha, there's supposed to be two paragraphs. There are. And there's supposed to be two or three keywords highlighted or bolded in the first and the last sentence of each paragraph. Mm -hmm. And the title is supposed to repeat one to three words from the last sentence. So that's just, you did it or you didn't. There's no opinion problem right, there. Right, right. And then there's the style, mm -hmm. right? So where are we in the easy plus one pattern where we're adding one stylistic technique and practicing, you know, the three things till it is relatively easy. And then we add in the next one and we practice that till it's easy for almost everyone. And then we can even customize that checklist within a group of people. Again, you did it, you did it or you didn't didn't, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Pass now, or fail. That's totally helpful and useful to everybody. Right. The teacher, the parent, if they're involved, the student, the person who's going to mark or look at the paper in particular. But I have seen rubrics that include things that are not clearly black or white, yes or no. You, you don't know if you did it. Mm -hmm. One of the ones that always cracks me up is all my sentences make sense. Mm -hmm. Well, if you're a kid, and you wrote a sentence, and you read what you wrote, even once. And by the way, our checklist is really good at forcing students to go that extra step of reading what they wrote because they got to mark all that stuff. Exactly. But, you know, if you wrote it, it made sense when you wrote it, and you read it, and it still kind of makes sense when you read it, well, you would obviously assume that it makes sense. So you would check that off on the checklist. Yeah, all my sentences make sense. But that might be a matter of opinion. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that you, in teaching your children and I and my children and other people's children, have read something 
that kind of didn't make mm-hmm. sense. You know, there was a logical leap there. And yet, who am I to say it didn't make sense to them? So now we're in the zone of opinion. Mm. Other things I've seen on rubrics, my ideas flow together smoothly. Mm-hmm. Well, that again, that's kind of a matter of opinion. When, and, it, and if it's a middle school paper, it probably isn't because it's going to be awkward. Well, yeah, there's that whole awkwardness problem. and Or, or this one. I have fully developed Mm. the topic for each paragraph. Mm -hmm. Well, how would you ever know if you fully developed a topic in the opinion of your teacher? Right. Right? I mean, I might think I fully developed it, but what if I didn't? And and then what is that teacher going to say, right? That's why we never have stuff like that on Mm -hmm. our checklist. I mean, we may have on a checklist that you know, topic clincher rule, and that you have a minimum of five and a maximum of seven right. details per paragraph. Right. And you can know if you did that or not. Mm-hmm. But you can't really know if you fully developed a topic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this gets back again to the four deadly errors, one of those unclear assignments. Right. So the rubrics are tremendously helpful. And, you know, my encouragement for everybody teaching, even if you're not using the structure and style program, Look at that rubric and ask yourself a question. Could a child of whatever developmental or experiential level you're teaching know for sure that he did or did not do that thing? And if there's any opinion in there, well, then that's a danger zone. Yep. So I'm looking at a checklist right now in our Structure and Style for Students curriculum. Mm -hmm. And this checklist, Andrew Poudoua, does not have points on it. Now, I will say that a teacher, if they want a checklist with points, we do make that available in two places. One, if you have the structure and style for students, you can download. It's a part of the downloads that teachers can download checklists with points. Right. Or they can go to the checklist generator and opt to add points or not. But why don't we have points on these checklists initially? Well, you know, it goes back again to a philosophy of what are we really doing here? Mm-hmm. Are we just teaching composition? Are we just giving grades? Are we just trying to get students to play the game well? Or are we actually instilling something a little higher, a little better, a little, or what Mrs. Ingham would have called an intangible? Mm-hmm. And and so that gets to the point where if you have the A or I grading system. Accepted. It's either accepted, accomplished, it's an A, or you're not finished yet, incomplete, incomplete, it's an I. If we have that ability to do that, then what we're basically training students is to not quit working on something mm-hmm. until they do 100% of the things that you're asking them to, mm-hmm. to do. Mm-hmm. Now, the problem, of course, is we think of A as excellent, B as good, C as average, blah, blah, blah. Right. And so people look at an A and say, well, both of these kids have an A, but one is clearly better than the other. Well, better how? Oh, well, better thinking, more mature, more creative, more imaginative, more enjoyable to read. Yeah, but you can't force anybody to do that. You can't even feed them special food that will make them that way. Sure. You you can only nurture that right. over time. And if you were to grade based on your opinion of its goodness, mm-hmm. well, then you end up 
harming both the talented and the untalented kids, right? Mm -hmm. the, the apt ones and the ones who lack the experience or aptitude. So this is why I really love the A slash I grading method. You know, it's either 100% or you're just not finished yet. And, you know, you think about people, people that come here and work for us. We don't want anyone happy with 92%. No. <laughs> even though in the bigger world, well, that's an A, that's good enough, mm -hmm. right? No, I, mm -hmm. I don't want a job 92% done because then someone else has to go finish it. Right. Right. So I think that our philosophical approach of leaving points off of checklists and promoting this AI grading system mm -hmm. is it's better for the soul. Yes. It's better for the psychology. It's better for the teacher. It's mm -hmm. better for everybody. But it kind of conflicts mm -hmm. with, as I said in the beginning, the way everybody's been doing this for a long, long time. Sure. So how does a classroom teacher, a full-time classroom teacher, reconcile this philosophy of AI versus I need to put something in my grade book? Well, I get, you know, there's a few hurdles you have to get over here. The first one is, you may not be able, honestly, if you do enough writing for your students to do really well, you will not be able to actually grade all these papers. Well, and in in our structure and style for students, students are writing up to 20, 20 plus papers a year. That's a lot of papers that to is, grade. Yeah. You know, for a homeschool mom, okay, it's a little different. You got two, three, four, mm -hmm. ten kids. But but for a, a teacher in a hybrid school or tutor, tutorial online or an actual five-day-a-week school, like you said, they could have five sections of mm -hmm. junior high school level English. Mm -hmm. How would you possibly deal with all that? And so one thing is why don't you remove the concept that everybody has to have a grade on every paper? Right. Now, I love that. the fear is that if you don't grade, people won't work hard, mm. right? There's so much research to prove that this is not true. While there are some students who are motivated by grades— there are lots of students who are motivated in other ways. And the students who are motivated by higher grades actually are generally motivated even if those higher grades aren't either a threat or a, a reward. So what if you could give assignments and, you know, and I, we could do a whole nother podcast on what to do with the pile of papers you get from kids. Mm -hmm. But w why feel like everything has to be, it, be a grade in a grade book? I'm working with a school and they are getting accreditation. And so they have this fancy little software system to record grades. Mm -hmm. And the teachers, there's a slot in there for three grades in every subject every week, right? Okay, you're teaching fifth grade, you're teaching every subject. And now, you know, you've got to come out of the blue with 50 or so grades to put in this little spreadsheet. For every student. Every week, for every wow. student. Wow. And and so it was funny because the accreditation committee from the archdiocese, you know, looked at it and said, well, this is a fine thing you're doing, but you don't have to, you don't have to fill in every box. Mm -hmm. This is not a checklist for your performance. Right. And, and so the headmaster of the school was so grateful and said, look, you don't have to even give one grade for every subject every week. You can you can thin this out and and do the grading in a way that isn't stressing you, that's not stressing the kids. Spend your time teaching and learning and use grading as an evaluation periodically mm -hmm. so that you all know how well you're teaching and learning. Well, guess who is the most uncomfortable with that? 
parents, mm. right? I'm paying good money for this school. I want to be sure my kids are above average, right? Because all kids have to be above average. According <laughs> to, you know. So you got to navigate that. And mm-hmm. it's not easy. And for a lot of people, it's a big paradigm shift. But I would say the first thing is free yourself up from the idea that every single assignment has to get a grade. Sure. Okay, so how do we wrap this up, Andrew? We're out of time. Well, we refer people to the article. We encourage teachers in schools to try to engage in conversations about marking and grading. What What is really useful and helpful? And I would say... You know, look at that as being, is is it as objective as possible? You did it or you didn't, but you don't include things in a rubric that could be a matter of opinion. And then you have a differing opinion between the student, the parent, the teacher, and then how do you reconcile that? And if you can get away with it, see if your school will allow everyone to get A's on every paper. Mm-hmm. I mean, is that Okay. Right? I don't see any objection to it. No, sure. it means that some students may have to turn in a fourth revision. Right, because if get they get an A. I, they need to turn it into an A. That would be but the But who's goal. learning more? The kid who whipped it out easily turns it in A, mm-hmm. or the one who has to wrestle with the thing and turn in a fourth version to get 100% on the checklist? Yep. Who's yep. actually developing a character level con- persistence and mm-hmm. perseverance? Well, I mean, they both may. One is certainly, you know, there's a quote, and I don't know where this quote came from. I said it to a group of students once, and then I noticed that one of the girls in my class had written it on the cover of her notebook. Oh, I love that. Okay, it must be important. In a Sharpie. Okay. And the quote basically goes, he who struggles to learn is twice blessed, Hmm. for he learns what he wants to learn, and he also learns how to work to achieve that end. Wow. Something like that. And, you know, it's probably someone said it, but it goes back all the way to some ancient guy, you know. <laughs> right. It's, it's one of those things that we all instinctively know. Mm-hmm. And so let's set up a system that acknowledges both the ones who can do things easily and get A's easily yep. and the one who has to work a little harder. Now, are you going to have some kid who says, I don't care, I'm not going to do anything at all? Yes. That's a character problem. That is not a problem of how to give feedback on the paper. Right. And then, of course, in the Ford Dudley Ayers talk, we we do talk about taking a minimalist approach. Mm -hmm. You know, write as few things as you need to. Edit, don't correct. I mean, there's a lot. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about that before. But, uh, you know, this is definitely a subject that requires some active contemplation by everyone involved in the process. Yep. So... Teachers, you've got now a few months to think about this before school starts again in the fall. (laughs) And maybe by then we will have this podcast called What to Do with That Pile of Papers. Yeah, we could do that. Sounds great. Thank you, Andrew. All right. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. Or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcasts. Here you can also find show notes and relevant links from today's broadcast. One last thing. 
Would you mind going to iTunes to rate and review our podcast? This really helps other smart, caring listeners like you find us. Thanks so much.